welcome to the second season of our triune pod we are still preparing you to praise join me the reverend nick comiskey and the reverend bendy hart for a conversation about low-key theology lived experience and often unrelated pop culture as we break down one of the psalms we hope it's an inspiring maybe a bit irreverent but mostly helpful way to get you ready for some god time Ben, how are you, man? Dude, we're recording at night for like the first time ever. But it feels feels good. Feels right. We've done it a few. I feel we must have done it at some point over the last 18 months. Almost two years. I mean, now, maybe, man. maybe for the college, but uh yeah. it's been a long time. It's been a while. Well, hey man, but uh, as we jump in, so we recorded last week uh on Tuesday, like early afternoon. And I I, I maybe you did at that point. I hadn't been on my the news, I hadn't did not know about the the awful shooting in um, Uvalde, uh, but I wanted to talk about an article that got that was um, in response to the tragedy. The article by Tish Harrison Warren. You got a chance to read it, yeah? I did. Thanks to you, and it's great. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, leading question. So uh, Tish Harrison Warren is a priest, Anglican Episcopal priest, and she writes a, um, a subscriber-based newsletter for the New York Times, which, I mean, in and of itself is a pretty remarkable thing. I mean, she has to be the most like widely read priest in our world, right? I mean, millions of people. Right? Her friend Esau McCauley might be. Yeah, no, I don't know. Do like, she writes a lot more. Like, okay. like the, she has this newsletter now. Anyway, uh, we're not going to, I mean, I don't have any, I'm, I'm assuming you're in the same boat. I don't have any like perspective or take on the actual shooting. I'm not trying to weigh in on that, but um, I really want to commend the article to our readers. I think you could probably just Google Tish Harrison Warren, what prayer means for Uvalde um, and read it. And basically it, it takes as the premise, this like this conversation that happens after every mass shooting where people will, uh, like, you know, sneer at the like thoughts and prayers, social media response, which, you know, fair enough. But I think what the article, one of the ways I took the article is like her kind of complicating that like simplistic criticism and to share some Warren lives in Austin. So she's only a couple hours away from this town. And the day after the shooting, she went to the town and uh, participated in some meetings with different spiritual leaders, clergy, basically in the town. And she, you know, it's a very deeply firsthand reported reflection on that experience. And um, I mean, Ben, do you want to venture a, a summary of yeah. what, what her perspective is? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I mean, I guess it's, she'd want it to be complicated, but what I found most, most interesting is that she interviewed a lot of different kinds of people. Some people were the typical, like, do not make this a political event. Don't make tragedy a, a source for a launching point either for the left or for the right. There were other people who were talking about how, yeah, thoughts and prayers aren't enough, but it seemed like regardless of where people were coming at politically or otherwise, these folks who were in the town where the event, the tragedy happened, these folks need prayer. These folks want to assemble. These people realize that we're going to be gone in a couple days and especially for these pastors who she interviews the work is only just beginning and a whole lot of that work is just coming alongside people in their grief 
asking questions of maybe ministers in the town that they used to think of as rivals is like, well, how do we do this well together? And yeah, I thought it just really complicated. Thought like, sure, when Ted Cruz says you know, thoughts and prayers, that's very political. And then you could pick on someone on the left just as equally uh, for making this really all about them. But when push comes to shove, and I guess the way her article ends, and then I'll, I'll let you talk. Um, she writes, but every single person I talked to agreed on one thing. They could use your thoughts and prayers. Yeah, I mean, I it, com it combines like the best. It's like a really, really great piece of reporting and like a really, really great like op-ed, quote unquote, like in one. Because I think her criticism it's so spot on. Like, of course, it's ridiculous to just use a thoughts and prayers like Band-Aid in the face of like terrible tragedy and use that as like a way of shielding yourself from asking really hard policy questions. And like, what could we do practically to make situations like this less avoidable? Um, on the other hand, she is, you know, equally critiquing implicitly that like hyper secular, like all these religious idiots just talking about prayer. We don't need prayer. We need policy. And I think what she's saying is like on, and this is the reporting piece, like on the ground, it's both. And it is definitely both. And like, you know, and, and, and either, either side of the debate that kind of sneers at the other is just profoundly missing the point. Yeah. I want to, we can stop after this. I want to just, I want to read actually the paragraph before that too, because I think it really grates really puts the line that you read in, in great context. And then we'll just end here. America has always been a nation of religious zeal and a nation of violence. And the way these realities have interacted is often complex and grievous. Faith in America is complicated. It motivates at times courageous action, but also inaction. It fosters unity, but even within faith communities, people disagree deeply. It yields breathtaking acts of love, but can also be manipulated for cynical ends. It drives personal and political change, and it can be a cop-out. Valdi is grieving and heartbroken. Some want a revival, some want mental health services, some want gun control, but every single person I talked to agreed on one thing. They could use your thoughts and prayers. Whew, man, that is just, that was good writing right there. Yeah, yeah. Go read some Tish Harrison Warren. <laughs> All right, that's it. You. Thank you for uh, for uh, yeah, humoring me there. All right, man. So it's Pentecost. Uh, before we jump in uh, to the psalm itself, man, what are your uh, what are your thoughts about Pentecost as a, as a priest in, in Christ, one holy Catholic and apostolic church? Do you enjoy it as a holiday? Do you find it difficult to yeah. think about, or like you know, it's one of the big three, I would think. You know, Christmas, Easter, Pentecost. There's other major feasts, of course, but these seem like the uh, the Holy Trinity, as it were. So, what what do you what's your take on Pentecost as a as a minister? Yeah, I guess you could argue that the season of ordinary time is the season of the spirit. So yeah, it's a, a pretty important, you know, launching point into the ordinary time or the season of the church. Uh, for me, I, I find it difficult to preach. Uh, I wonder what Nick thinks on this, but uh, yeah, I have exhausted my two sermons that I always preach. Uh, I, I really love the, you know, the undoing of Babel take for the sermon, uh, but to, to really make that connect, um, to come home, I really like to turn that into like this, you know, well, for those of you who aren't familiar in Babel, right, they're all speaking the same language, 
God confuses their tongues. Here at Pentecost, people from all different cultures and tongues can understand one another. And I used to really like to use that illustration from Whit Stillman's Metropolitan movie about how um, essentially in this love story, the, <laughs> the socialists and the Upper East Side, these, this couple that comes together, uh, their tongues are closed to one another. And uh, uh, there's kind of like a Pentecost-like moment where uh, the walls come down. And isn't that great when that happens in our lives? But I preached that sermon enough times. I guess the people here in Alabama can get it because I haven't preached here yet. But I'm kind of bored of it. So what about you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, I venture to guess that people listening to a podcast called Our Triune Pod about the Psalms appointed in the lectionary, like probably know what Babel is. <laughs> I'm just gonna like, <laughs> I'm just gonna venture to guess that. No, I mean, I, I, right. I think, yeah, I mean, I think you're totally right about uh, the Babel connection. That's a great way to approach it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I find it one of those celebrations in the life of the church about an event that very much happened in real time and space 2000 years ago, like the Feast of Christmas, like everything involving Holy Week. But it, I, I don't know what you think about this, but in my view, it is a little bit different in that it's both a once and for all, never to be repeated event, but it's also a pattern in the present in a way that like Christmas isn't, right? Like Christmas, just yeah. like it happens, God comes in Jesus. And you can, of course, talk about Jesus' birth to you every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same thing with Easter, you know, like Jesus rises in your hearts. Like I love, I mean, of course that's true, but but it's it's a there's a very different way in which Pentecost can be somewhat of a like you you can pray for a lowercase p Pentecost in a way that makes much more sense than a lowercase c Christmas, right? Like you can gather together and you can ask God to inflame your hearts with love for him and inspire your witness. And like that has legs in a way that Christmas doesn't, right? So I find it interesting. I mean, I find it, I'm always like kind of toggling back and forth between, am I talking about the significance of this one event and what it might mean for us today, like you would for another holiday? Or am I kind of, you know, hopefully gracefully enabling people to believe for their own Pentecost in here and now, right? I think that's, I mean, you could say the same thing about Christmas or Easter, but this seems like a little bit more, um, realizable uh, realizable is the wrong you, you, you know what i'm saying um, yeah yeah i mean i mean, I mean you yeah. know i think we're so influenced by like Simeon's all and you and your charismatic background that it's just kind of like you know if, if every time my affections are torn to a, or turned to god uh it feels like a pentecost like moment i think next week is the real hard week when uh trinity sunday when if we actually try to dive into the depths of the trinity how that actually relates to lived reality but no, we'll totally. get there we'll get there then well speaking of uh lived reality i guess uh the psalm appointed for pentecost it's the same psalm every year it's psalm 104 verses 25 through 35 and then verse 37 and it goes like this oh lord how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all the earth is full of your creatures yonder is the great and wide sea with its living things too many to number creatures both small and great there move the ships, and there's that Leviathan, which you have made for the sport of it. All of them look to you to give them their food in due season. You give it to them, they gather it. You open your hand, and they are filled with good things. You hide your face, and they're terrified. You take away their breath, and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created, and so you renew the face of the earth. 
May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in all his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God while I have my being. May these words of mine please him. I will rejoice in the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, if any of you were paying very close attention, you would notice that Nick skipped verse 36, but that wasn't because Nick wanted to skip it. It's the lectionary creators don't like it. And uh, it reads, let sinners be consumed out of the earth and the wicked be no more. And I guess you could understand why people wouldn't be super thrilled about that. But in a minute, we're going to get to why that verse is actually you know, helpful for understanding the whole. But let's not jump ahead too fast. Nick, my favorite verse, your favorite verse, I'm guessing. 27, there move the ships and there is the Leviathan, which you have made for the sport of it. Leviathans, man, super fun, super cool. Beast Jesus mode, just... beast <laughs> mode, baby, it's coming back. The Lord has just made it for the sport of it. And I think that's part of the message of this, this odd Psalm is, you know, here are, you know, here's creation. Here are creatures, here these wonderful things are, they are very dependent upon God. God doesn't need them. He makes it for the sport of it, which is really fun. I mean, and, uh, you know, kind of goes along with, you know, Karl Barth's God is completely free. God doesn't need us. And yet we are obviously uber dependent upon God. Uh, one other thing I, I kind of liked, and, and I mentioned this before, but I mean, for whatever reason, verse 30, I resonate with, you hide your face and they are terrified. You take away their breath and they die and return to their dust. And that just sounds like a whole lot of the, what the psalmist writes about being actually in fear, actually in a harrowing situation. So often I live a pretty easy life. I have food whenever I want it. The AC almost always works. Uh, and then I read passages like this and I'm reminded just how precarious life can be, or I'm reminded or when I, about this stuff when I hear about these school shootings like we witnessed last week. And, and again, all of this is just emphasizing that we are completely dependent upon God. Before we go any further, yeah, any, you want to add anything there, Nick? No, yeah, I thought that was great. I mean, we talked a little bit about this uh, offline, but yeah, this is a psalm that has mystified me as I've thought about its place in the lectionary this Sunday, and and I've I've never tried to preach this this psalm on 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 Pentecost, and I frankly can't imagine I ever will. <laughs> but um, I I do wonder if if I don't know if this was in the mind of the editors, but as I was reading it, I mean, one way to think about it in this connection to Pentecost is if you live in a post Pentecost world, you know, you live in the world of the Spirit. And you sense the uh, the movement of the spirit, you know, the renewing work of the spirit in your own soul and in lives and that you, people you love and in works of justice and and righteousness in the world. And so, like, if the glory of the creation that the spirit obviously, you know, in this text and in Genesis one, the spirit hovered over the face of the waters. The spirit is what brought forth all the beautiful and wonderful and intricate things that we see in our world today. If the glory of the old creation is like that, what will the glory be of the new creation when the spirit renews the face of the earth once and for all, the return of our Lord? And like, is, I mean, maybe that's one way to think about it and its connection to Pentecost. Like, 
that the spirit is in the business of creation and new creation. And if the old creation is glorious, how much more wonderful, like kind of like the second Corinthians four, I think the second Corinthians four, the old covenant, new covenant, like old creation, new creation. I know that's not a, that's not language that the Bible uses, but you can imagine as someone who is filled with the spirit and is a, you know, a post-Pentecost person standing before the face of a beautiful tree or a body of water and you feel the wind of the spirit and you think, oh, what will it be like when the spirit renews the face of the earth once and for all? I don't know. Do you think, does that, is that one way to think about the Psalm as a, as a lection for this day? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm not giving enough credit. I feel like they just found a song that's in spirit. <laughs> I, oh, I mean, you know? <laughs> that's been my suspicion all along. It's like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I could buy that. Yeah, you send forth your spirit and they are created. And so you renew the face of the earth and the Holy Spirit is renewing me all the time. It's, well, it's kind of like one of my like bad sermons, but no, you said that much better. No, no, you're right. I mean, it's like that Ezekiel 37 thing, you know, like the valley of dry bones and, and, yeah. and God says, son of man, speak to the wind. And then the wind and the spirit, the Ruach of God kind of brings this dead thing to life. I mean, that's the, that's a better yeah, picture. Let's put that in there. Let's put that in here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know it's true, man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for, for what else do we see here? I mean, if we didn't have verse 36, this, it w- it's almost like, you know, this is a hymn to God via creation. Um, and uh, as you know, our, our, our good buddy and teacher, Tim Keller tells us, uh, you know, unlike humans, the creation is always singing the praises of God. Um, and there's this great quote that I'm going to butcher by Elizabeth Elliot of courtship fame, who says essentially that the clam is more at worship than you and I, because they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, but, but I think what complicates a view, and I, I agree with that, but what complicates a, that, like, you know, everything is fine in creation is that we do believe the fall affects more than humans. It affects the cosmos, it affects creatures. And yes, more often than not, we are, are inflicting violence on the creation and creatures. But it's not like, I mean, you can also like, witness creation and see like, man, there's a lot of death here. This is pretty, pretty messed up. Uh, so I think we kind of need, if we don't have verse 36, oh, let the sinners be, cons- be consumed out of the earth and the wicked no more. If there's no acknowledgement of evil or fall or whatever you want to call it, then essentially, you know, I could see why it's not in this text, but I could see nature worship or like, oh yeah, create creation's everything. Uh, the spirit yeah. is about creation are almost like yeah we have, into that. we have connection to our like edenic past and it's only human beings who have ruined everything you know it was like mm. all, all the great memes at the remember the start of COVID. all the great memes about nature is healing we are the virus oh my gosh yeah <laughs> yeah the rivers they're clear oh it's so good man forgot about that yeah did you have you been watching a prehistoric planet on apple tv have you heard I of this? Not, but I, I may after this. It's um it's John Favreau. It's yeah, it's like the planet Earth people, you know, like remember planet Earth? Mm-hmm. Um, and they are basically making planet Earth, but for the dinosaur age, and they have like unbelievable computer generated slash live action, like not live action, but like I don't exactly know how they do it, but they, they basically make this create this world where dinosaurs are roaming the earth, and it's it's not like that much better than Jurassic Park, but what I think they just have learned a lot more since that movie got made about how 
the dinosaurs looked and how they acted. And so you're basically, it's like watching a nature documentary. It honestly honestly looks almost like a nature documentary, but it's dinosaurs. It's very cool. It's it's killer. Um, But yeah, I mean, but it is funny, like to speak to your point, like you're watching this movie or you're watching this show. It's like, oh man, it's so beautiful. And then like every dinosaur is trying to kill every other dinosaur. (laughs) Like that's, you know, that. and the drama of the documentary is like, is that raptor going to kill that cute little bird dinosaur? Like, I guess it is, you know? So yeah, you know, even, even before humankind, man, there was just nature was red and tooth and claw. (laughs) Uh, Listeners, we just had to edit out something very, very, very problematic from Ben. But that leads me to my next question. Should we start a dinosaur pod? (laughs) I mean, it might get more listeners than our tripod. No, that's not. That can't be true. That can't no. be true. We're number. Right. We're in the top two percent. That's right, man. Yeah. All right. It's just that's us and the Ringerverse and uh, Rogan. Um, all right. Let's. Why don't you pray us out, man? Let's let's uh, let's get a little hymn to creation at the close of this day. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the great and wide sea with its living things too many to number, creatures both small and great. There move the ships and there is the Leviathan, which you have made for the sport of it. All of them look to you to give them their food in due season. You give it to them, they gather it, you open your hand and they are filled with good things. You hide your face and they are terrified. You take away their breath and they die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit and they are created. And so you renew the face of the earth. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in all his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will praise my God while I have my being. May these words of mine please him. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed out of the earth and the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Hallelujah. How about that episode of Our Trying Pod? Now that you've been prepped for praise, won't you do us a solid and subscribe and review? We promise to keep the outlandish illustrations coming. So be sure to join us for another episode of your absolute favorite podcast.